for the arts report because hello you are listening to the arts report on CITR 101.9 FM we are broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus on the unceded ancestral and traditional Musqueam territory in Vancouver I am your host Sada Unju and I have a show of interviews for you today yep you heard it right. We don't have any reviews today. We only have interviews, which is quite exciting because with reviews, you only kind of just hear our point of views, what we saw. You might not know much about what we're talking about. You might not have any information on that particular event that we're reviewing. But with interviews, we learn together. I asked uh, the person, the artist questions, and I learn, and you learn while listening to me talk to them. Also, I should mention that this show is only me. <laughs> I I did all of the interviews, and well, I am hosting the show, so uh, no one else is joining me today. So if you don't like my voice, I am so sorry. But if you do, this is the show for you. <laughs> Okay, so before we get into the interviews, we have a shout out. So the shout out is, I guess, part of the interview because our shout out today goes out to Interior Infinite which is the upcoming exhibition at the Polygon Gallery. And if you don't know, the Polygon Gallery is located in North Vancouver. Uh, so if you're listening from North Vancouver, this is, this is, this is, this is perfect for you. Anyways, I, I, uh, okay, I've just been rambling. I'm so sorry. What is Interior Infinite? Interior Infinite, you're going to learn so much more about it uh, during my interview. Uh, but so... For now, on my shout out, I'll just mention that Interior Infinite is a celebration of radical togetherness and unique self-expression. Timely exhibition brings together an international group of artists, um, I think 15 or 17. So basically the press release says 15, but uh, Justin Ramsey, whom I interviewed, said 17. uh, And he's the curator, so I'm not... (laughs) I'm not really sure. But anyways, so uh, I'm not going to talk much more about it besides mention that it opens June 25th, which is in two days and is it's going on until September. It's you can go see it at the Polygon until September 5th. And so with that, let's get into my interview with Justin Ramsey, 
who is an assistant curator at the Polygon Gallery. And this is Justin's first uh, feature exhibition. So uh, he curate the, cur- curated this <laughs> exhibition. So I'll just uh, leave you to my interview with Justin. Enjoy. Hello, uh, Justin. Thank you so much for joining me today uh, to talk about Interior Infinite at the the upcoming exhibition at the Polygon Gallery in North Vancouver. How are you doing today? I'm well, thanks. I mean, you know, that Mercury in retrograde has thrown some <laughs> interesting challenges. It was like literally right over the install period. I think it finally, I think retrograde finally ends tomorrow. And I'm like, that was good timing. But alas, we persevere. And I'm happy to say that things are moving along. We just um, kind of the signature piece of the exhibition is a sound suit mm-hmm. by um, American artist and dancer Nick Cave and we just got that up today and okay. it's just sort of a tremendous presence in the space so I'm really excited about that. Yeah that's amazing. Oh, When you mentioned the retrograde last night I could not sleep for the life of me. I think I got like two hours of sleep. I'm like what's going on and then I remember my friend was like yeah I haven't been able to sleep all week this week. I think it's because of the retrograde. I'm like that makes so much sense. Funny. It's funny, you know, I'm I'm not a I'm not a huge believer in these things. Like I, I I'm not I'm not sort of militant about these things, but when they happen, you know, you yeah. see you're like, okay, well no, that's hard to deny. Yeah, I feel the same way. Something to do with the cause though. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, so um Let's talk about the exhibition. So would you like to tell us uh, a little bit about what Interior Infinite is, what this exhibition entails? Sure. So Interior Infinite is an exhibition um, that features, uh, it really is about masquerade, disguise, um, adornment, costume, as ways of giving form to and exteriorizing aspects of our of our lived experience, our lived realities. So, you know, of course, uh, I think that in this day and age, identity is often sort of treated as this sort of singular immutable thing, you know, Mm -hmm. like what's my identity or, you know, be your best self. But the, the truth of the matter is, identities are such layered, intricate, ever-evolving things, and they shift depending on who we are with Mm -hmm. and where we are and what we know. The self is in a constant state of discovery and becoming, and that's really exciting to me, especially looking at artists who are using um, costume, disguise, makeup, masquerade to give form to a a side of themselves that is often suppressed. Perhaps because of because of a, a sort of normative normative standard in society that sort of treats um, a kind of uh, white male ableist sort of heterosexual experience mm-hmm. as as the normal rubric from mm-hmm. which all others are kind of divergent and that's just not accurate. There's a whole range of normal experience that's far far outside of that. Um, that kind of standard, if you will. And 
um, artists who are using costume, I just, I, I found that they were using disguise and really very consciously fashioning their own images in this kind of sort of almost performance-based way mm -hmm. for the camera um, and using vis visibility um, to really sort of counteract these, these prevailing narratives and to say, well, wait a minute, um, just because just because my experience or this aspect of my life isn't necessarily what gets talked about widely or you know often isn't desirable to see that doesn't make it less real and yes. here it is and the the resulting artwork is just so beautiful um, and so rich and so so fulsome that I thought well that's really you know there's something here there mm -hmm. were enough artists using self-portraiture like not only not only you know putting themselves in front of the camera but also doing so in these sort of resplendent garments of their own imagining um, and that was really exciting to me not all of the work in the exhibition is self-portraiture necessarily some artists like Aida Mulone are working with subjects mm -hmm. um, but even then even then it's kind of an extrapolation on that artist's own sort of their own being in the world and and what that means to them and how they wish to portray it mm -hmm. so that's kind of that's kind of the combining ethos of the show and really it's it's kind of derived from from this the, the idea of carnival because mm -hmm. carnival of course you know i think all over the world um throughout history there have been occasions there have been festivals or parades or feast days where for a moment people don disguises, don masks, and society for, for that time is just reimagined. Yes. New social orders have to be have to be envisioned and enacted. It's like a release valve, be it from the pressure of normativity. And you see that all over. And it was so prevalent that, you know, Christianity couldn't get rid of it. They mm -hmm. kind of had to syncretize it. Yeah. And that's kind of where carnival comes from. Mm -hmm. And especially in like African diasporic communities like Trinity dad um carnival has such a has such a vibrant life around you know emancipation and liberation and so carnival uh, the carnivalesque as this way of using costume uh, and the visibility um the, vi the visibility enabled by disguise as a means of resistance mm -hmm. and assertion of presence i thought was powerful so you know for a long time the show's working title as i was working on it was carnival and i knew oh. it would never stick because mm -hmm. it's not a show about carnival yeah. it uses the carnivalesque as kind of a as kind of a mentoring a kind of nurturing ethos mm -hmm. um but and it changed eventually. I was reading a text um, by Mikhail Bakhtin, mm -hmm. um, a Russian philosopher, um, published in 1965, called Chablé. I can't pronounce it. Chablé's in his world. Okay. Or maybe there's no S at the end. Chablé and his world. Um, and he was looking at a, a particular French writer, a French Renaissance writer, um, who had really kind of used um, this very sort of carnivalist aesthetics mm -hmm. um, in his work. And, and 
Bakhtin took this as sort of a, a jumping off point to really look at the importance of carnival traditions as this kind of uh, as this kind of ability for us to expand the social imagination. Mm -hmm. And he had this phrase, this phrase, the interior infinite, and it showed up a couple times in this passage, always italicized, like it stood mm -hmm. out. And he didn't define it in a rigorous way, but it said the interior infinite could not have been found in a closed and finished world. And to me, that kind of said two things. One, the, the world is as much in flux and, and being formed by and, and transformed by our identities within it. And as much as we've all sort of collectively imagined the, the prevailing social orders into being and imagined the existing prejudices and and hypocrisies and and discriminations into being we also as a society have the capacity to imagine better yes um and so there was that aspect of, of that passage and the other was you know the interior infinite could not have been found in a closed and finished world it really made me think about you know that that sort of force of normativity trying to sort of like a lid trying to cover something that's overflowing and can't quite be closed upon and mm -hmm. i think that um that interior infinite as it were within each of us is that expansive capacity of the self is that um endlessness of identity that we can all explore from when we're small children up to the day we die and keep on learning and discovering things about ourselves and about others that then give us the courage to to change and yeah. be changed and so the, that passage also spoke to me of you know this expansive idea of the self and how that resists these kind of oppressive norms mm -hmm. that are sort of you know drawn into being and in the service of whom or what yeah. you know during this pandemic so many times people have sort of bemoaned you know getting back to normal when mm -hmm. can things get back to normal and it's just sort of like normal for whom and and yeah. who, who did normal serve and who decided what was normal yeah. and maybe you know we can use this as an occasion to instead of going back to normal to move forward to better yeah to something more inclusive and to you know actually looking at this very narrow aisle that constitutes normality and at how artists like the ones in interior infinite are really trying to push it out to make it wider and and encompass more of the people who right now kind of crowd its margins so so it's it's kind of all it's kind that's kind of mm -hmm. yeah. what the show's about it's yeah, amazing. I mean, yeah. That's thank a very long-winded explanation. Oh, no, that was yeah. wonderful. I was going to ask about the name, too, and then you went into it. I'm like, perfect. I don't need to interrupt anything. You're just, like, answering every yeah. single question I have. <laughs> it's a funny thing because, um, like I said, like, for so long I called it carnival mm -hmm. and then when I changed the name and I was like no this is what it's really going to be called yeah. I had all this sort of like all this like not pushback exactly but like my colleague being like but carnival was so fun <laughs> and I'm like but it's not fun it's serious <laughs> I mean it is it's 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 dreamlike and you know it's imaginative and, and speculative in these kind of you know I think it's it is a fun show yeah but there were you know, and looking at many artworks and other artists who are working with self-portraiture and costume, there were some that were very quite effervescent. Mm -hmm. And I think that the ones that sort of ended up coming together 
um, are more solemn. Mm -hmm. And I mean, for me, it kind of reflects the way that this exhibition came about because it really, the, the, the genesis of it was, um, was what ha was the murder of George Floyd mm -hmm. because I just kind of had a, I had a crisis moment you know because mm -hmm. here we are it was during the pandemic um, so the gallery of course was closed to the public at yeah. the time but we were online on on social media and on our channels every day you know trying to stay in the public eye and mm -hmm. you know really asserting the relevance of art and us as a cultural institution and when that happened I just sort of I had a crisis moment of being like well where is art now what does mm -hmm. art have to say about this um and i i remember the sound suit series by nick cave because those were made the first sound suit and the sound suits for listeners who don't know what they are they're these full body wearable sculptures that the dancer makes and often per performs in and they're made of all kinds of different materials but the first one ever was made entirely out of twigs and it was made in 1992 in response to the beating of Rodney King, a black civilian, very mm -hmm. severely beaten by the LAPD. And so Nick Cave made the first sound suit entirely out of twigs as a means of camouflage and armor for the black body to protect from, uh, to protect against state-sponsored, mm -hmm. state-sanctioned violence. And since then, you know, the sound suits have become festive and sort of glamorous and, and queer and very, very visible. Mm -hmm. And there was something, you know, they still armor and they still sort of disguise the wearer's identity to a point where you can't really see their sex or gender or, or race in any superficial way. So it sort of protects against that sort of um, prejudicial judgment, but they cannot seek to hide. They're too visible and that makes them a protest piece. And so I thought, so looking at the sound suits and then thinking about this kind of visibility as resistance and how that related to carnival, this was sort of the thread of the exhibition mm -hmm. and so to make it to make it too sort of colorful and and um cheerful i think wouldn't wouldn't really honor the way that this mm -hmm. all began or or what i hope it might be able to start to do mm -hmm. with visitors who come and see it yeah yeah that makes sense i read in the press release that this is the first feature exhibition you've curated is that correct that's right um i worked on a, a few smaller exhibitions here at the gallery but this was the first this is the first exhibition where i sort of went into the world virtually of course it was mm -hmm. all during pandemic yeah. but really found and sourced the work from wherever mm -hmm. that I wanted to bring together, which was really just like exquisitely exciting and liberating and, and such a great opportunity. So yeah, this is the first project that I've kind of built from the ground up That's with its own, its own title and the whole sort of upper floor. And it's uh, actually the, the exhibition will actually start on the ground floor as soon as you walk in mm -hmm. and then sort of wrap up through our stairwell and then all through the main space. Um, so, and, and one thing that's, um, that I think is, you know, uh, quite 
nice about it is that, you know, there are a lot of artists featured in it. I think the final number ended up being 17. Mm -hmm. Um, Almost, most of the artists, most of the artists have more than one work in the exhibition. Mm. Um, And this was important to me to not just have like a whole bunch of works by like one artist a piece. um, Because again, that idea of identity as something that that expands and tessellates and multiplies um, was something that I wanted to kind of represent that way. Uh, You'll also see, I mean, there's only a, only a couple works, maybe just one even, that features multiple figures in the image. For mm-hmm. the most part, it's one, one subject um, per photograph, mm-hmm. so that... Um, so that the works aren't existing in their own little microcosms. They're all kind of functioning as this kind of gathering of these of these beings, of these people together. So that was kind of another uh, important sort of factor in, in choosing the work that went into the show. And then mm-hmm. a lot of the artists, probably about five, they're, they're so known for their performance. Mm-hmm. And at this time when, you know, it's, we can't fly international artists in and, you know, performance is a bit dubious, but it was kind of like working with the artists, like, how do we inject some of your performance practice into the exhibition in a way that can kind of just live in the space. So some interesting things, Skeena Reese is working on this. uh, She's developed a brand new character for this exhibition Mm -hmm. um, whose story will sort of unfold over the course of it on her, on a TikTok channel um, designed, like made especially for this character. So you can sort of watch her story unfold kind of episodically, which is such an amazing thing. Such an amazing piece. Charles Campbell, likewise, the mask that he wears when he steps into his actor boy persona will be displayed in the space um, with a sound piece in in Charles's sort of um, mythology. So actor boy is a is a figure from the Jamaican festival of John Canoe. Charles's sort of version of this actor boy exists in a parallel timeline where emancipation led to racial equality um, and and actor boy travels through interdimensionally using the vibrations of bird song in order to come over to our timeline and investigate where we went wrong mm-hmm. we're sort of living in the less likely scenario as it were we would love to do something live with charles over mm-hmm. the summer but as a as a signal to the actor boy performance series i think visually and and orally it's a uh, it's a really it's a really neat yeah. Um, way to, to put that in so so these little these strategies of um of injecting performance in um where we can mm-hmm. has been in, has been an interesting challenge but one that I think has you know led to some new kind of tactile or or auditory sort of sensorial uh ways of experiencing the mm-hmm. show too that's it all sounds so good I I really wish we could speak so much more and we could delve into every single one of these pieces that are or the performances that are being featured on the exhibition. But unfortunately, we don't have any more time. Um, So uh, would you like to remind us of the dates uh, of when you can see it? Absolutely. So Interior Infinite will open on um, this Friday. Oh, my (laughs) God. It's going to open on Friday, um, June 25th. For now, we're open Wednesday um, to Sunday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., but late Thursdays. You can uh, visit the gallery till 8 p.m. on Thursdays. We're always admission by donation, and the show closes September 5th. 
but that sounds wonderful. Thank you so much for talking about this exhibition and congrats on your first feature exhibition. It sounds Thank you. so exciting. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Justin. My pleasure. This Quarter Magazine has been supporting local music for over 30 years. Thanks to the long-term support of the Rickshaw Theatre, Discorder lives. Your favorite bands are playing at the Rickshaw Theatre. Check out their calendar just behind the cover of Discorder Magazine or at rickshawtheatre.com. Who we view as the most authoritative and electable is rooted in systems of oppression. There are so many inequities around having our experts in our community speak about our work. Obviously there are several facets to this strangely homogenous nature of the electoral system. And to be left out of conversations, it only exemplifies that loss of self-esteem. Check out CITR's live panel podcast, Conversations, hosted by our Indigenous, Accessibility, and Gender Empowerment Collectives. Subscribe to Conversations, available now on iTunes. Hello, welcome back everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I certainly did. Like I, I enjoyed conducting that interview. It was so exciting talking to Justin about this exhibition. It sounds really interesting and I can't wait to go see it myself. It's just, and like he talked about it with so much passion that I just wanted to keep listening to him. So I really hope you enjoyed listening so to it too. And that was my Instagram story. Uh, if you <laughs> if you follow us on Instagram, you would have seen my process of recording this show currently that I'm recording um, last night for you. For me, currently it is Tuesday at 8 p.m., but for you it's going to be <laughs> Wednesday at 5 p.m. And if you're listening to this as a podcast, God knows when it is. <laughs> Oh, also, if you don't know, here's a shameless plug. We are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so you can find our all of our past episodes on there. Just search up CITR Arts Report. And if you don't have either, you can find our all of our archived episodes on CITR.ca. If you just go to the Arts Report page, you will find all of them and you can download them too so you don't have to be online to listen to them after you download them. Anyways, so uh, next up, the Hive Collective, you might have heard of it, is having a, um, I don't know, a production, let's say. It's not really a performance that you can watch online it's a production that follows four paths it's called flight paths and we talk with brian about well about flight paths and brian is the producer of the hive collective and so he gives us insight into the process of how the show was created he gives us insight into what it is and all of the information that you might need and everything that you might be interested in hearing about Hive 2021 flight paths. Again, 
very interesting stuff. So I hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. Today I'm with Brian Postalian, who is the producer of Hive Performs Collective, right? Yes, that's correct. Yes. <laughs> So we're here to talk about Hive 2021 Flight Paths, which is a collection of 12 micro performances uh, that are going to be taking place digitally. And yeah, welcome, Brian. Thank you for being here. To Happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you. To start off, would you like to tell us more a little bit about Flight Paths and what it entails? Yes. So Hive 2021 Flight Paths, as you said, is... Uh, 12 micro performances that take place digitally between you and an artist um, from your home, uh, your phone, or your neighborhood. And it's a build your own adventure style, interactive theatrical journey. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very, it's very a new kind of experience that um, might be uh, a new endeavor for the audience as well as for our artists because each performance invites you to participate in a unique way mm -hmm. um, our artists have been given one of four paths to create a show for uh, these four paths are travel phone home and location mm -hmm. and each of these four paths which make up the 12 shows will reimagine live performance as they invite you to do the same you may receive a call from a friendly group of experts who will assess a part of your life, follow a set of instructions to physically lead you down memory lane, or you may travel through your neighborhood while imagining it as an ancient myth. And all of this will take place um, July 1st to 4th mm -hmm. from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. each day. Mm -hmm. And are people able to join uh, multiple paths or do you just kind of need to choose one and stick with it? Yeah, this, so as we said, it's a pick your own style adventure. So mm -hmm. if you want, um, you could pick one whole path and endeavor down that, that lane, or you could mix and match from the four paths. You could do all of two paths. Um, in one day, you can see up to six shows. Okay. So if you want to see all 12, you can come over, over the two days because um, we've been really conscious about making our shows as financially accessible, especially mm -hmm. during this time. And so we decided to make all tickets free of charge um, or by donation for mm -hmm. those who can afford it. So oh. you can feel free to, to reserve for multiple days and, and come uh, if you have the time. Yeah, that's amazing. That sounds amazing. Uh, and so do you, as a person who has more, I guess, quote unquote, insider info, because you're involved with the production. Um, would you recommend people uh, checking out all 12 performances? Or are you just kind of like, you know, I'll let people do whatever they want? <laughs> um, I'd say yeah, a bit of both. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it'd be great to experience all 12. Some of the shows are one on one. So you're gonna have to jump on tickets quick if you want to make sure you see those mm -hmm. uh, because there will be limited slots. Um, but it's hard to say art, the artists are currently making the shows right now. Oh, okay. So they have, you know, kind of these uh, brief ideas. They've got the, the path as a kind of a, a guiding um, uh, idea to, to make the show within, but 
many of them are still figuring out what their script is, what the performance looks like, um, how it's delivered, all of those questions. They're, they're literally right now mm -hmm. in their homes or wherever they are experimenting, trying new things. This is a, this festival is, is an attempt to engage in new creative work. So all these artists have come to the table with um, questions uh, and not knowing what that answer is. So what's really exciting about this is you're really going to encounter very, very fresh ideas, some very fresh um, frames of how performance can work that for a lot of these artists, this might be their first time doing a show all over text or all mm -hmm. over um, a phone call. Um, so not that, not that any of those performances are new in general, yeah. but you know, they're expanding beyond, I think, for any of the listeners out there who have been watching lots of Zoom or live streamed shows. Mm -hmm. um, there will be very, very little of that in this event. It'll be a lot of um, very uh, new and I, I hesitate to say weird, but like, you know, <laughs> experimental. Yeah, um, kind experimental. Of work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can't say weird yet because I haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, course you know weird is subjective but yes um, very much weird as in it is not zoom or it's not you know mm -hmm. to blink yeah it's for me personally it's definitely new i've never heard of a performance um that takes these type of routes because i feel like with the past year with COVID, we've kind of gotten used to watching shows live streamed either like on youtube or zoom shows and so mm -hmm. that's kind of somehow became normal and now uh there's even more newness to be excited about it's amazing yes exactly and so brian you as the producer could you tell us uh what your role is in this um production yeah um i'm producing merely as as kind of like the point person for the rest of the collective mm -hmm. um the Hive Performance Collective is a makeup of a dozen BC-based artists and companies who are each making theater or live performance um, in their own unique aesthetic and style. And we came together with the belief that we wanted to create a space for many of us being kind of next generation Canadian artists who are working in live performance to collaborate and share knowledge about our working processes, ideas, and create a community with other independent artists and companies. So the collective itself was formed to share these resources mm -hmm. in the spirit of collaboration instead of competition. Mm -hmm. So as opposed to something like a um, fringe festival, mm -hmm. um, all of our work is being offered together. You, you know, are encouraged. Your experience at Flight Paths isn't just seeing one phone show or one travel show it's a collection of them and the order that you see them in that makes up that experience so all 12 of us are in some way our, our work is in some way linked though we're not actively involved in the creation of each other's pieces mm -hmm. we've come together to kind of share this collaborative spirit so all of us all 12 of us are are producing this event together um, my role as producer is, you know, um, <laughs> doing a lot of grunt work, uh, mm -hmm. you know, administrative stuff, 
and I also, of course, I have a piece in the festival as well um, with my company, Recurrent Theater. So I have a bit of um, uh, value myself <laughs> doing, doing this. You know, I get to do my own work as well. Oh, I'd say you have value even if you didn't have a piece, though. Yeah. Being a producer is a lot of work. So this um, whole production as flight paths in general... Um, how did this kind of come about? Did uh, you guys, you know, the different companies slash artists in the collective kind of decide you wanted to do something like this together? Or did like someone come up with the idea and everyone was like, oh, yeah, that's that's a good idea. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. In 2018, I think the the germ of this idea started. Oh, wow. Um, uh, back then, there there was this festival called Magnetic North, and they had just gone gone under. They had gone bankrupt oh. in 2017, mm-hmm. and it was pretty devastating to the artistic community across across Canada because this was a it, it called itself a national theater festival, mm-hmm. uh, which there's a lot of discussion around what what that means. But it's it, it you know bolstered quite a lot during its time to. English Canadian uh, theater, mm-hmm. getting it, you know, known to international pe- uh, producers. To uh, this was a festival that traveled to different cities mm-hmm. um, every other year, and so the the fact that it went under was was devastating. It was kind of like, you know, this was prior to COVID, where all of the arts organizations got, you know, decimated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, this was a a real like, oh, you know, if a festival like this can go under. <laughs> um what 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 about us yeah yeah. and um and so they there were a group of uh, concerned um artists across Canada who got together to give that magnetic north a kind of farewell Mm -hmm. to to be able to say goodbye to it on its own terms and part of that uh process making that piece was them doing an open call to the artistic community for proposals for ideas for what should happen to the festival mm-hmm. and myself having kind of just arrived in Vancouver in 2017 I I was at these town halls that they were hosting and myself along with co-producer who who worked on on Hive shortly before she's now um, carrying and is you know expecting so she's taking care of her body and she's yeah. also doing the show so reasonably has stepped away so that she can be be mother (laughs) yeah Um, and she and i jessica and i attended these channels and we thought oh uh would be great if independent artists could come to the table uh, collectively Mm -hmm. as opposed to some of the other voices that were present were um publicly funded um operating uh venues Mm -hmm. you know uh, companies that have year-round programming that have funds to make work and think about what their impact is in the community where lots of us independent artists you know we're gig workers we work project to project we don't have the structure to think about um what we're doing year to year yeah and um so we so the the idea came about like what would be a structure for independent artists to come together rather than just Mm self-producing their own work for this festival so Long story short, and I've already, <laughs> I've already talked quite a bit about everything that's not, hard, but that's how, you know, the, the, the kind of grassroots of it came from this, this catalyst of okay. uh, 
what could we offer to Magnetic North? Mm -hmm. So Jessica and I host our, our own town halls for independent artists about what we could do. Hive came up as, as a concept, Hive itself. So we take our namesake from the original Hive, which was produced in Vancouver in 2006. Mm -hmm. Those were the 11 Vancouver, BC creation-based companies that are you may now know as Progress Lab. Mm -hmm. um, companies like Boca del Lupo, Electric Theater, uh, New World, Rumble, Theater Conspiracies, there's more. Mm -hmm. And so we, we asked them very kindly, can we take this name and move forward with it? And um, it, it had a history of being passed on. And we, we picked up the mantle and uh, we're supposed to, we ended up, so we ended up doing a um, show at Magnetic North. Um, we did a one day, uh, we took over all of uh, a venue in the North Shore at Presentation House Theatre, which is this three-story venue with like dozens of, of spaces and nooks and crannies. Mm -hmm. And each of our artists were given one of those space spaces. So a studio, I was in a, an old bank vault. Um, uh, it's a really weird space. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Uh, <laughs> and um, we were supposed to return in 2020 and mm -hmm. do a, a longer... Um, process that was more funded and we've got funding to do it but of course you know nothing went as planned last year yeah and so throughout 2020 we had kept coming back to the collective Jessica and I on um, what can we do uh, should we wait until we can gather back in person um, and then we were like well we've been sitting on this uh, these funds for a while we should we don't we have no idea what the future looks like mm -hmm. um, so let's plan for something next year now. Yeah. So now and thought up a couple of ideas about what could we offer that would have a similar flavor to what we had done before, but, you know, abide by all these health restrictions um, so that we could still deliver the artwork. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Long story. <laughs> that's how we came about. That's that's amazing. Thank you for telling it like from ground up because I didn't know how the hive that is the hive today kind of came about so it was wonderful to hear thank you before we go I want to ask uh would you like to remind everyone where they can find the hive performance collective as well as where they can get tickets for flight paths yes you can visit our unique website link at hiveperformance.com art so not dot com dot art yes. hive performance dot art um and you can you can go there you can learn about um all of the 12 performances all of the companies and the artists involved book your tickets for the event from july 1st to 4th 2 to 5 p.m mm -hmm. and again you can book as many as you like tickets are, are free or by donation and book soon because um, many of these unique pieces are going to have uh, limited capacity and they will sell out in advance. Yeah, are bookings open right now? They are, yes. Oh, wonderful. Okay, that's that's great to know. Well, thank you for so much for talking with me, uh, for being here. I appreciate it a lot. It was amazing to hear about the both Flight Pats and the Hive Collective in general. Thank you so much. Great, yeah, loved it.
FM Vancouver Reloaded, playing your favorite tunes and mouth-humping your ear holes full of voice talk. Yeah, we do that. TransCare BC works to enhance the coordination of trans health services across the province and offer expanded health services to support transgender communities. They are doing this by developing gender-affirming client-centered models of service, ensuring access to gender-affirming and supportive healthcare that is equitable and available, and supporting network development to make sure trans and gender-diverse individuals, their families, and healthcare providers have access to information, resources, and support. Check out phsa.ca to learn more about this program and lend your voice to help create an inclusive and supportive system for trans members of our community. Hello, I think my fridge is gonna start acting up soon. So I hopefully I can, you know, finish this episode before it does. But welcome back. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Flight paths is such a new and different concept for me. I have never come across something like it. So it was really exciting to talk to Brian about it. And I hope it was exciting and interesting for you too. And I hope you check it out. I hope you enjoy it. And up, we have another interview. This is our final interview of the day and our final content of the day. Uh, so this interview is about Quarantine Capsule. It is with Nightingale difficult words to pronounce nightingale and joshua lamb so i'm also nightingale i'm so sorry for butchering your name you don't have a difficult name it's just i have difficulty speaking anyways <laughs> so we talk about quarantine capsule which will be launching june 25th uh, so keep an eye out for that if you want to know what quarantine capsule is well that's what we're talking about in this interview. So I I hope you enjoy it. Listen to it. It was a really fun interview. And yeah, enjoy. So um, Nightingale and Joshua, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Um, before we get into the interview, would you like to introduce yourself and quickly tell us about your role uh, in Quarantine Capsule? All right, thank you, Sarah. So hi, everyone, I'm Nightingale. I am the Quarantine Capsule creator and I'm based out in Ontario. I created this little brainchild and I'm really happy that it's traveling all the way to BC with all of you. And now, Josh, I'm passing it off to you. Hi, I'm Josh, Joshua Lamb. Um, I guess, yeah, after the Quarantine Capsule traveled from uh, from Ontario and now into BC, it kind of like uh, met me. Mm -hmm. And when it met me, I became an associate producer for the BC segment. So that's why I'm here with Knight, um, helping her grow the roots of this little initiative that she began. Wonderful. And so Nightingale, as the creator, would you like to tell us a little bit about Quarantine Capsule and what it is? All right, so Quarantine Capsule, also known as the QQ, as the word capsule is spelled Q-A-P-S-U-L-E. It's a digital archive of the Asian Canadian experience during the COVID-19 pandemic. It started in Ontario as I wanted to capture just everyone's little experiences, like especially expressed through art as most of the times like 
throughout Canada, especially Asian Canadian history, it's always been a series of repetitive um, acts of exclusion, like mm-hmm. Kamagata Maru, the head tax, and so on and so forth. And so with this pandemic, it just blew up. It went everywhere online. This is the first time we've ever had a global lockdown and everything. And mm-hmm. there was just a lot of xenophobia and everything. And I just saw my friends. They were just hurt from it because they were affected by it. And I just wanted to create a safe space where we don't exactly have to talk about it directly, but we can find some spaces of happiness or we can kind of reclaim our narratives and our agency and shed some light in darkness and also educate people reintroduce the Asian Canadian community in a more positive way. And so, Josh, you mentioned that you kind of got involved with the project when QQ kind of came to BC. I was wondering if you worked with, if you two worked together before, if not, then how did you guys kind of, like, how did this collaboration happen? (laughs) Oh boy, this is a, this is a, it's a story, but it's not like a crazy elaborate story, but I'll I'll start from the beginning. Okay. Um, So, how it happened was, I think it was like maybe a couple years ago, apparently, apparently, mm-hmm. my mem- our, both of our memories are fuzzy, <laughs> but me and Knight, we've actually met at the Vancouver Asian Film Festival okay. um, at one of their events. It was either one of their uh, events during the November segment, mm-hmm. or it was actually during the summer, during the Mighty Asian Movie Making Marathon. We don't know, because mm-hmm. I think we were both kind of a, uh, had a little bit, uh, we partied too hard. <laughs> I'll, I'll go with that. Um, or maybe we were just too nervous around each other. Yeah. One, one or the other. I yeah. mean, I mean, partying does help with the jitters. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's, I think that's how we became acquainted. But uh, things were just so fuzzy that I guess life moved on a bit and then pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. And I was actually at a different production job and it was really intensive. And I just started getting like Instagram messages and Facebook messages from like a, a, a like a fellow friend of mine in the filmmaking community, mm-hmm. Andy Wong, who's also an associate producer who can mm-hmm. make it today. Um, and he was like, "Josh, there's this really awesome project that I think you should really be a part of. Uh, I'm gonna pass her to you, and we're gonna get this thing started. It's gonna be great." And it, like, and you know, he's really enthusiastic, and you know, he the, the text exact sounded exactly <laughs> like the way he said it, all in caps. So. <laughs> So I, I went with it because, I mean, it, all in caps, that's how you get me to go to events. Exactly. Come! <laughs> uh, and so that's how I actually started talking tonight. And uh, and then we kept, were kind of like, oh, my gosh, I kind of remember you. I kind of remember you. And then we just kind of like our energy kind of amped up each other mm-hmm. about the project. We're like, yeah, we're going to do it. Yeah, we're going to do it. And we kind of like built each other up. And then the rest is history. Yeah, that that is... I was not expecting that story, but I'm so glad I got it. I tried to make it sound more interesting than it was, but uh, <laughs> if I just boiled it down, it was just like a DMs from someone I met previously. If I if I said it like that, that'd just be like... And that when we video chatted, it was like no time had left. We were already joking. We were already saying things. We were just like so chill. It was like no time. And, we're, and then at the end, they were like, so did we meet each other before? I think we did. Yeah, is this, I don't know. It just, it, just, it just came together just so nicely. Yeah. So. Well, that's amazing. It's great that um, you two are getting along so well while uh, working on this. And so, um, okay, for you guys personally, what do you think is the most important part of Quarantine Capsule? Wow. I think it's just seeing everyone's stories come together. And in a way, they all kind of communicate with each other because one person's experience, another person's experience, it seems to illustrate a bigger picture about the Asian Canadian community and everything. And it just sheds a big light. So I didn't know that 
it would happen where people would just be more positive and they would find a safe space during this time and also realizing that they have a story to tell even if they don't consider themselves creatives mm-hmm. I th- that's what i really loved about the project as well because um looking at the submissions and the people who actually brought work and created work it's funny because actually a lot of their footage and um you know things that they've shot was actually just your regular day-to-day stuff you know like oh my gosh i see this like cute cat across the street i'm going to take a picture of it and it's just so in the moment so raw because they're not thinking about composition they're not thinking about like um the narrative because i guess in 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 a way there there was no narrative when they Mm -hmm. started taking this footage until they compiled it brought it together and then they started stitching things and, and, and putting their thoughts and memories of quarantine and even their life before quarantine they, they put it together so succinctly and they created this wonderful narrative that night you know spelled out so beautifully is that once you take a step back then you start seeing the whole entire weave the woven almost like tapestry of what pandemic was and mm-hmm. is for so many people mm-hmm. in this time and that, that's what i think was just is just so important for anybody who's you know pursuing self-documentation and art is to realize that almost Almost every day is a chance to make something, even if you you never even realize that you did, right? So that's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is very true. And so talking about the submissions, unfortunately, your call for submissions has ended, but I'm sure you got many. Yeah. And so from these submissions, are you kind of choosing specific ones, or are you featuring all of the submission? How how is that kind of working? So we just have a community guideline as long as nothing is too profane or anything, as long as everything is originally taken by you, there's no copyrights, then it's just going to be accepted because Mm -hmm. it's a community archive and we can't really go around judging people's experiences and saying choosing one over the other. Mm -hmm. And I think that way it really showcases like everyone's like the whole community in general, like in its pure, purest form. Mm-hmm. Okay, amazing. And I also read that um, Quarantine Capsule Toronto had a mentorship program. So do you have any plans to have the mentorship program for BC also? It's already started. Has it? Oh, that's amazing. Okay, could yeah. you talk about it a little? Yeah, the uh, mentorship program is for people who don't fully identify as an artist or they're emerging artists and they would like to contribute to the QQ but unsure how. So we partner our mentees up with people who are working creatives in the industry who are also Asian mm-hmm. and that and it's just honestly a virtual sandbox where you just experiment it's a safe space to like explore things to have conversations with people in the community to learn and then at the end you just create something and contribute it to the QQ I think the most beautiful thing about the mentorship program actually because uh so Knight is actually a mentor herself but for me I'm actually a, I'm a floater Mm-hmm. So I'll go to all these meetings and I'll chime in and I'll listen in and I'll absorb the relationship that's actually being built between, I think a really important relationship is the mentor to the mentee, just due to the fact that the mentors that we were able to provide for them are not, they have so much experience and so much insight into the world that I think really helps them expand their mind not just about art, but about community as well, because I think during pandemic, the experience is almost a lot about ourselves because, you know, it's forcing forcing us to be introspective. But talking to these mentors and how they were able to deal with quarantine and how they were to open up the mind and show that, hey, you know, it, it's making your own art is, it, it is about yourself, but it speaks to a larger narrative. And I, I love that about this discussion, you know, with 
with Knight and her mentee, and and, and uh, we have Dr. Cece Fu, Dean of Arts and Culture at uh, Emily Carr. Mm-hmm. Um, she had s- such beautiful insight. And same with Jasper Sloan Yip, another uh, uh, mentor who's a rising uh, local musician and uh, podcaster, yeah. um, which I, I believe you're familiar with, yes. Sarah. Yeah, fun fact for those listening, Jasper is CITR's programming manager, so we're in contact all the time. <laughs> Yay! He's great. He Jasper. <laughs> we love Jasper. We also have Joshua Aries, who was also a mentor for the Toronto version as well, because we thought like, well, if it's pandemic and everything's done on Zoom, why not cross those timelines? Why not? What's also another great thing about the mentorship program is that it really does address like whose narratives are we not capturing and the fact mm-hmm. that we are able to make it open is that so that way we don't like overlook other narratives that we may be missing out on. Yeah. And also what's really fun is that Josh contacted his high school and we managed to get a few kids from his high school to be a part of the program and think about how impactful that is to have someone so young to meet someone who's experienced and this could be like life changing. Yes. Sounds wonderful. Okay. And is there anything that you guys would like to mention or talk about more by any chance when it comes to QQ? When it comes to QQ, there's so many things I could talk about. <laughs> Just like the all the all the hours we spent together brainstorming behind the scenes. I gotta say that it was uh, the one thing that was difficult, I guess, about the quarantine capsule was getting it started. Mm-hmm. That was a that was a really hard thing. Getting to it do started in BC. Exactly. <laughs> it was uh is quite difficult, I guess. Um not too sure why, but I think maybe because the Toronto version started at the at the beginning of the pandemic, mm-hmm. at the in, at, at the at the outset. And right now we're almost as if the the BC QQ is almost kind of encapsulating the end of the pandemic because now we're ex- we're our plan is to exit. Yeah, right, hopefully. guys. Our plan. Yes. <laughs> so basically, as it's happening now, we're we're nearing you know getting closer closer to September. You know, following Dr. Henry's plan, mm-hmm. Dr. Bonnie Henry's plan, and I think maybe it was just harder to start because I guess a lot of people are like, I want to get out. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to exist in this digital space. Yeah. But I think. It's now that this has happened, this has occurred, I think our worlds are going to be so much more tethered in between this virtual, non-virtual world because there's the upsides and the downsides, you know, that, that we've all experienced. And I don't think our virtual world's gonna go away. Yeah. That's that's the thing. And I think with the quarantine capsule, I guess it is encapsulating this really strange transitionary time. Mm-hmm. And I hope that everybody who, you know, comes and takes a look at all of the, the submissions when we open up the digital capsule just keep in mind that you know these stories will always continue on beyond the capsule right these artists are going to hopefully continue making stories they're going to hopefully continue building their narratives uh and moving towards something that they want to accomplish be it if they want to continue making art or if they want to continue down a different path that this is just the fork in the road before we all go into our separate ways but um that's my my little my little thing I'm gonna say but tonight do you have anything I think you encapsulated everything you're right um we definitely have developed a virtual world and we're we're also developing a hybrid space as well like a hybrid universe and so I'm really excited to explore these um unknown territories with everyone yeah oh I wanted to ask as Josh put it you know hopefully the quarantine is kind of coming to an end is that's uh, and your quarantine capsule is coming to bc even though um 
again, hopefully the pandemic will end soon and we can go out just a little more normal life. Um, do you think you will want to extend QQ to other um, parts of Canada, uh, even though I don't know how it would work as a non-quarantine quarantine capsule? Do you think you would want to expand it more or are you kind of just happy with Toronto and BC for the moment? It really depends on each province and whoever really wants to bring the B the QQ to to their respective provinces or states or whatever. And we do plan on revisiting the capsule because it's not just like a one-time project and mm -hmm. then we walk away from it. Like we do hope that we can probably somehow visit it in like a physical space and we can all do that safely. Oh, that would be amazing, yeah. And where can people find Quarantine Capsule? You can find it on Emily Carr University of Arts and Design's online repository in the archives. So this will all be academic sources. So if you want to learn more about what happened during the pandemic through the Asian Canadian lens, through art, feel free to explore it through Emily Carr University of Arts and Design. If you want, I can I can spell out. I'll, I'll spell out the, uh, the, uh, the 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 website HTML or whatever it's called. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe uh, email, maybe like easier. You can find us at ecuad.arcabc.ca that's ucadarcabc.ca slash quarantine dash capsule that is q u a r a n t i n e dash q a p s u l e capsule thank you so much <laughs> the soundbite for the email oh yeah yeah okay soundbite for the email um if you have any questions or concerns, or if you want to learn more about the quarantine capsule, please email us at quarantinecapsule at gmail.com. Yes. Thank you so please much. Please remember that the capsule is spelled Q-A-P-S-U-L-E. Oh, wonderful. Thank you guys so much for joining me today and uh, talking about quarantine capsule with a Q. And I, I'm really happy to have learned more about QQ and the goals that you hope to achieve with it. Thank you so much. Thank We're you for having us. Here. Thank you. Hello for the final time. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, I'm hoping you enjoyed that interview as much as I did conducting it. It was such a fun one. And... Nightingale and Joshua made me feel so comfortable. I feel like interviewing one person has gotten pretty normal for me. Uh, as you can guess, like I, it's basically just my interviews this episode. <laughs> but interview more than one person is kind of nerve-wracking. So they made me feel really comfortable and they were a great duo to talk to. So I really appreciate that. And check out Quarantine Capsule. It's launching in two days. It's a great initiative. So keep an eye out for it and before I go before I go folks today is June 23rd which means there's only seven more days left of pride month so happy pride month if you're out if you're not out uh it doesn't matter if you're part of the LGBTQ community happy pride month to you uh but anyways that's the end of our show yeah I hope you had fun listening to this one and it's a long one so without any more rambling I say to you goodbye all have a lovely day have a lovely rest of your week and I'll see you back here in two weeks goodbye